Hello everybody, welcome to the latest Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is David Cushnan, Head of Content here at Leaders. Uh, with me today, as we break into our fortnightly routine for a bonus performance podcast, is Luke Whitworth, Content Development Manager here at Leaders. Luke, hello. Afternoon, David. Afternoon, listeners. Luke, why are we here? And in fact, uh, as an addition to that question, where were you last week? So um, last week we were at uh, Williams HQ, obviously home of the Formula One team, uh, hosting our inaugural uh, Leaders Meet Human Performance event, actually. So um, it was a great day, a members-only event. Um, we delved into three of the most pressing challenges associated with human performance. So we looked at psychological safety, we looked at data-driven approaches to performance, and we looked at creating holistic approaches to performance as well. So it was a very interactive day. Um, wasn't one for passive learning, so a very enjoyable day and one that I think we can deem a success. Indeed. And while you were there, you recorded the uh, bonus interview that we're about to hear. Yes, I did. I, um, I grabbed uh, Professor Alex Hill, uh, who's a co-founder and director at the Centre of High Performance. And he's also a professor at Kingston University um, for, for a quick chat, actually, around his research regarding centennial organisations, which is a unique piece of research. Um, so he's been working on this for a number of years, looking into organisations who've outperformed their competitors for over 100 years. So very, very interesting. A lot of crossover for the world of sport. Um, so I think it's uh, some little nifty little insights into how these guys are doing stuff. Excellent. Uh, shall we get on with it and listen? Let's. I'm here with um, Alex Hill, uh, Hello. co-founder of uh, the High Performance Centre and also, if I'm right in saying, a professor at Kingston yes. University as well, who I've just intercepted on his way to the bar, so um, to have a quick chat about, about a few things. So first of all, Alex, first event you've been to of us, um, what do you think of it and what was the biggest takeaway? Well, it was, um, I thought it was a great, great day and... It's always really exciting for me because you don't really get this very often is to see sectors learning from other sectors. And I think the real, you could see the eyes lighting up today when people see similar challenges elsewhere or um, interesting solutions to similar problems in other sectors. So I thought some fascinating insights, you know, from medicine mm. uh, and from surgery um, some insights equally from sport uh, in the way that um, Williams really sort of put for, push forward this data, gathering mm. data, analysing data, which is not necessarily a world a lot of the people in the room, I think, were in, but there's a lot you can take from that. So um, it's just really interesting to see very rigorous insight and practice and you can always find something interesting in that, you know, no matter what sector that is. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And actually, one of the reasons why I um, wanted to grab you to have a quick chat is that I and a few others have been really lucky to uh, be a part of the leadership development days we're running here at Leaders. And obviously you are helping us out with them across this year, especially looking at this idea of sustained success and what lessons um, the guys who attend can, can put into their organisations. Now... What I think would be really good if you can elaborate on some of the research you've been doing. So I know the listeners and other people as part of the membership platform here will love to know about what you've been doing over the last five, six, seven years looking into um, centennial organisations. Yes. So definitely elaborate on that for us, if you will. Yeah, so as you say, we've, we've, we've termed them centennials. So really, 
We're very keen to try and understand organisations that have outperformed their peers for the majority of the last hundred years. So, so and, and really trying to understand how you do that. Um, there's not that many that have managed to do it. Um, so we looked, again, we were sort of driven into looking into very different sectors, uh, sport, education, science, um, the arts, and really try and understand what's going on. Um, I think the thing that has surprised us the most is after you know five years studying them um, is how similar they actually are. Mm. And then we've, um, after kind of taking those insights and, and those similarities, we then have shared those with um, over, now over 500 leaders from other environments, to almost to kind of say, well, well, this is what they do. How, how does this challenge your view or your way of thinking? So um, the phrase that, that we've come up with, which people seem to like, which we've, we've taken from the Royal College of Arts, uh, is the idea of being radically traditional. So how do you keep your traditions and keep them uh, almost, that, that's almost your direction in many ways and, and keeps you on track. But then how are you radical too so you find new things and move things forward? So you don't grind to a halt, but equally you don't get knocked off track. Um, and um, and uh, as you know, we, we've sort of come up with this phrase of having a stable core but yep. a disruptive edge, um, which really seems to capture what, what they seem to do. And, and at that core is their purpose, their stewardship, rather than leadership, we call it stewardship, and their openness. And then at their edge, they have these disruptive experts, nervousness and accidents. Uh, and it seems to be that combination of the, the stability and the disruption that, um, that keeps them sustaining that success. Um, interestingly, what we found is that actually as you go back in, in time across these organisations, there's always moments when they've come unstuck or things haven't been working. Uh, and, um, and something we were talking about earlier is they, when that happens, they go back to the core, which was, we found really interesting was they go back to that core first. Are we on track? You know, is our purpose right? Is our stewardship right? Are we being open? Do people trust us? And then they say, okay, let's now just start disrupting again and start moving forwards. So the Royal College of Art were one of seven organisations mm. you, you looked into. So what about the guys who have not been familiar with your work so far? Who, who are the other six? Yeah, so uh, the Royal College of Art, uh, the Royal Academy of Music, the Royal Shakespeare Company um, are kind of your arts organisations. Then from education, we looked at uh, Eton College, uh, Science, NASA, uh, Sport, the All Blacks, and the British Cycling Team. Yeah, that's brilliant. A great, a great array of organisations. Now I'm going to put you on the spot and say if you were to run through those seven organisations, you could pinpoint one thing that you were not, not amazed by, but um, probably really stuck out to you through the research. What would it be if you were to run through one each? Um, one that speaks to mind that you mentioned in our development day was the... Uh, the Royal College of Art and how they look at trying to ensure that they've got world class in their organisation even if it's only on a part time basis which I thought was really interesting so yeah. I think for the for the guys that are listening as well there's, there's a lot that we can learn about how they have that disruptive edge yeah. um, whilst keeping that, that core yeah well. I mean that's really interesting one of the things that surprised us when we first 
noticed it in the Royal Academy of Music is when they told us that 70% of their staff work part-time. And uh, that was the first time we picked that up. Um, what we found actually was that was very consistent across all the environments. Um, and the Royal College of Art is a great example. Um, and they, they said to us, uh, we don't want career academics. So we don't want people who just sit here, stay here, work in our organization. We want people who are redefining practice elsewhere and then come to us for part of the time. So the, the idea that they won't join you and then gradually become stale, they're actually exposing themselves to new ideas and they are changing things elsewhere and bringing those insights in. So they talked to us about how uh, they've got 30 people that they've been tracking for between five years and 10 years that they are trying to persuade to come that they are working out how to get to come in some way at some point. Uh, and the lady who leads their fashion program explained to us how she was running her own fashion label. She never wanted to teach. And after five years of badgering her, she finally <laughs> gave in. And she loves it. So it's this sort of way of saying, who is the best in the world at the expertise and the skills that we use? which might not be in our sector, which might be somewhere completely different. Um, how can we engage them? How can we work with them, uh, but only part-time? So again, on the vehicle design program at the RCA, uh, the head of design at Ford used to come and be a tutor one day a week. So he's then going back and, and redefining practice, but he's also engaging with their organization so I think that's that's a really fun you know fascinating element uh, of them um, Eton Eton um, you know Eton don't get amazing press you know they they are for a lot of people they are perceived in a particular way um, it, it's not true having spent time with them uh, I think that one of their challenges is that they could be more open and they could actually explain what they do better to the world. Uh, but one of the things that they do that's very interesting um, is this idea of stewardship. So we found in all of the organisations, in very key roles, very important roles, which actually um, they would often describe as being pastoral roles, so they're caring roles, where they're caring for people within the organisation, um, or they're caring for people who are going through the organization like students or or you know athletes or whoever um, uh, and they keep those people in those roles for at least 10 years and again that was very consistent um, Eton were the only ones though who have defined the housemaster role as a 13-year job so you, you have to do it for 13 years you can't do it for less you can't do it for more uh, it's a 13 it used to be 14 and now they've reduced it to 13. But they've really thought about this, and essentially because um, students are at the school for five years, they've worked out that that's basically two and a half iterations. Mm. So they're gonna be looking after two and a half iterations all the way through. Um, and then they have, uh, what's also fascinating is they have a two-year handover. So uh, when someone's gonna step down, the, the, the person who's replacing them is announced two years beforehand. They then spend two years um, 
attending particular events, particular activities, and just kind of observing what's going on. And then the one who does step down still stays in the organisation. So they then still stay there. They're used as a sounding board. They can offer advice, help, support if required. So um, somebody described it as it's a bit like, you know, passing a baton on in the race. There's a period of overlap where you make sure nothing gets dropped, that no one runs out of the box, and that actually, essentially, you know, changes in critical leadership roles cannot knock us off track. So they make sure that doesn't happen. Um, so who who else? Who else is interesting? Uh, well, I mean, they're, they're they're all interesting. But um, how about one from sport? Sport. Well, I think you know the the real obvious. Uh, insight that I think you can take from cycling that that in the sporting world is very um, now very much well known is is the the notion of mar- marginal gains um, but it was interesting to see that that also existed in all of the other environments and 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 this really ties into this sense of disruptive nervousness so uh, again there are instances with all of them where they came unstuck when they became arrogant. So they stopped being nervous. They stopped worrying. Uh, they started believing that they were this amazing organisation or they stopped wanting to learn. Um, and very much that philosophy of marginal gains we saw throughout where they they don't want big changes. They aren't looking for the the step change, the huge shift. They actually want to make lots of little tweaks because they're nervous that if they make a big change, it will go wrong. If they make a big change, it might knock them off track. So so you do get this sort of tireless, they tirelessly tweak, and all of them are doing that. Uh, they uh, uh, Growth makes them incredibly nervous. Uh, and I remember telling some of them, you know, do you realise the rest of the world sees growth as their first objective? And and they were shocked. They said, we don't like growth because we're worried that we're going to lose control or our standards will slip or we won't have the great talents that we've got. And actually, you know, a great example is the RCA. On their uh, fine art programme, their painting programme, um, they turn down typically 70% of applicants and they always have done. So they could grow the programme very, very easily, um, but that's not what they want to do. So there is definitely this idea of being better, not bigger. Um, so there's a nervousness of success, there's a nervousness of growth, there's a nervousness of big changes, and, and that nervousness is always playing into it. So I think, again, the All Blacks, uh, you know, very interesting, you know, their, their study, when they realised that actually they were most likely to lose after a big win. And so they now, if they have that big win, they become even, they work even harder and become even more militant to recognise that, that that nervousness needs to be there. There's another um, story you told us in the, <coughs> excuse me, in the development day last week, actually, or a couple of weeks ago, was the, the RCA, the Royal College of Art, how they think creatively with how they position uh, two two departments within within the organisation. I don't know if you can elaborate on that. I think it's with yeah. the design team and also another one. It was, yeah. So so one of the things that they do, they have a phrase in the RCA which they call happy accidents. So we um, 
we sat down we sat and observed um people the way the way they they the two-year programs uh two years master's programs and they are essentially a series of projects they're sort of like i think it's four projects over two years maybe maybe slightly more some smaller ones but four main projects um and they the we spend a lot of time with the ceramics and glass uh, department and they talked to us about how they spend the year breaking someone down and then the year building them back up and they, and they do it intentionally so student arrives they are normally the top of their game they've the number one in their undergraduate program they arrive and then they have to work in a medium on a subject they've never done before and it goes wrong and we we saw them presenting their work which had all been disasters and um and there are three three tutors who who critique them uh, and we actually saw a very similar pattern in british boxing we i've been there like the week before and i what observed um a psychologist debriefing a fight with a boxer and a coach and then i went to the rca and observed a student's work being critiqued and it was almost identical the, the whole process um but they intentionally push them out of their comfort zone get them to do something they can't do but then they say well what was the happy accident what was the thing that went wrong but actually could be really great um and they talked about how they break them down that first year and then at the end of the first year they'll sit down one on one with every student and say what are you going to do when you leave we're now going to spend a year building you up to that um and what they've also done is as you you mentioned is they've they've taken that philosophy into the whole organization the whole college where they are they've said okay let's create disruption here too so they said who's our most different students it's fashion architecture let's put them opposite each other so they bump into each other every day and go you're different to me why are you so different to me so um so they they do that and the other way they they encourage accidents is that they have a large eating area which is in the middle of the organization not at the edge um uh, where everyone has to come together for an hour every day so they encourage people to hang out and chat bump into each other you know this the, the phrase we've used is move and bump create collisions intentionally have accidents i think that's interesting because that was a, a strong theme yeah. amongst all of the organizations that you you research i mean you wouldn't necessarily think of it like that how how many people and some of the listeners who i'm sure tuning in here sit at their desk eat their lunch actually how powerful a message that can be bringing everyone together you know away from the desks in in one environment and how that can stimulate discussion and and make people think differently yeah i think what what we noticed is that a lot of the traditional ways a lot of the ways organizations are designed and managed have come from business and actually when you look at it businesses are actually dying at an earlier and earlier age every year and 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 they're not they're burning bright but they're not burning for long and actually the philosophies of growth maximizing something and efficiency squeezing every last drop out of what you've got um 
can be great for a short-term benefit. But what we noticed with these organisations is they don't grow uh, and they are intentionally inefficient. So, so what they want to do is almost, rather than squeeze every last drop out of your ideas and practices you've got today, let's actually create an inefficiency and a movement and a bump and hanging out together and chatting so that we find new ideas and new practices. I suppose following on from that, a million dollar question is for those people listening in who are not at one of these organisations, what, what are the key takeaways or key areas in your mind that they you think that they should go to their organisations and, and not necessarily start to implement but start having a discussion about, about how they can improve their own organisational performance? So I think I think there's there's a, n- a number of elements. Uh, another another thing we haven't talked about so far, but I, is very popular at the moment, is this idea of purpose. Um, and one of the things we found with the organisations we studied was they all intentionally try to shape society. And so they say, what beliefs and behaviours can we create in society? And they all work with kids. Uh, from as young as four um, and they say how can we start to nurture the skills uh, that we will need in the future how can we create the right beliefs and behaviours uh, and, and and really kind of at that core uh, their purpose is critical uh, the stewardship that they have where people are in critical uh, roles of influence not expertise but influence for more than 10 years, uh, and uh, um, this idea of being open. So so I think really the starting point is to get that core right. Uh, because if that's not right, uh, then it, in, in many ways the disruption could move you forwards faster and faster and faster in the wrong direction. And then you need to backpedal. So something we found that was again surprising was that that purpose was almost the starting point for all of them. Um, so the you know the All Blacks were set up to promote New Zealand society. That was the purpose of the first tour. NASA was set up to to help mankind. That's why it was moved out of the army. Uh, the Eton were set up to educate seventy disadvantaged children. You know the RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company all talk about trying to democratise the arts, about trying to make it less exclusive. So so you kind of see this there. So I think, you know, the purpose has to be there, the stewardship has to be there, um, and then people also have to trust you, uh, and the openness has to be there. And we're seeing this, I think, with some of the tech companies at the moment, is that they've shaped society, they've had a massive impact on all of us, but people now are questioning why are you doing that and what are your what are, what are, what is the purpose of using all our data and how are you going to use our data and and they're not being very open about it so people raise question marks so that core has to be there and then you can start disrupting purpose is definitely something that has run true today i think you'll, you'll agree with with a couple of the sessions that we've had um now final question before i let you go um it's the world cup next week it is who's your money on I've got, I've got an imaginary £10 note in front of you. <laughs> Who's your money on? Uh, well, I uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say that back at you. Who's, who's <laughs> your money on? Who's your money on? Oh, God. Um, I mean, obviously, 
my heart's telling me one thing, my head's telling me another. I know that's um, always that's always the case. My money's on my money's on England. My money's on England. Money's on England. My heart's <laughs> my heart's saying England. My head's saying France. Yes. Yeah, my head's saying France. But um, no, Alex, thanks for your time, and uh, we're very lucky to be down here at Williams today for the the first the inaugural actually leaders meet human performance event. So um, hopefully that gives you a nice insight into into your research, which. Um, everyone should look out for like, when it's out in the in the public world so uh, thanks for your time and uh, I'm sure we'll look forward to reading more about it in the coming weeks and months pleasure thank, thank you thank you very much cheers Luke